Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We are back to our study of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, and we are inching our way into the marriage section of the letter. We're going to uh, spend a good many weeks in the marriage section, so today I'm going to read the whole thing along with a few verses before and a few verses after um, in order that we can get our bearings. So I'll start in chapter 5, verse 15. Follow as I read. This is the Word of God. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Amen. So, uh, it's been a number of weeks since we've been in Ephesians. I'll just give you a brief reminder of how this section sets up. Uh, One of the main themes throughout the latter half of the letter is out with the old and in with the new. It's set up that way in the middle of chapter 4, and then we see this pattern throughout uh, the rest. Look at verses 15 and following. Walk not as unwise, walk as wise. Don't be foolish, understand the will of the Lord. 
Don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. It's again this pattern. Put off the old. Put on the new self in Christ. And at this point, the last big command in terms of putting on the new life in Christ uh, was at the end of verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. And then in verses 19 to 21, we see three fundamentals of this Spirit-filled life. Verse 19, worship. Verse 20, thanksgiving. And verse 21, submission. So, before the holidays, we spent a good bit of time in verses 19 and 20, but I say verse 21 until now because verse 21 is the hinge verse uh, that connects the previous section to the ensuing section. It leads us into the section that we're heading into, which runs through chapter 6, verse 9. So, the first thing we need to do in order to get our bearings in the marriage section is we really need to get a handle on verse 21 and we need to see how it relates to the following section So that is our goal today. One of the fundamentals of the Spirit-filled life is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, The lesson today fits under two main headings, submission and fear. How about that? If you think about that, we're starting uh, the marriage section under those two headings, submission and fear. That's probably not going to sell you a whole lot of tickets to the marriage conference, you know. Hey, come to the marriage conference at our church this weekend. Oh, great. What are you guys talking about? We're talking about submission and fear. Uh, most people are probably going to call in last minute with the stomach bug. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, as I was thinking about that, maybe that's our problem. Maybe that's why marriage is in the state that it's in in the church today. And forget what's going on in the culture. I mean, of course the culture has its own problems, but marriage is in dire straits in the church. And we want to start where the Lord starts in His Word. And when He moves into the most extensive section on marriage in the Bible, this is where He starts. Submission and fear. So let's first talk about submission. One of the fundamentals of the Spirit-filled life is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What is this saying? Maybe it's um, best to start with what it's not saying is not saying that we are all to submit to everyone all the time. Uh, Certainly there's an aspect for all of us in which we all ought to always be uh, submissive to all others. We seek the good of others over the good of ourselves. But that's not what Paul is getting at here. The verb to submit is the Greek word hupotasso, which you don't have to remember. But know that it's a military term that means to arrange under or to subordinate or to submit to a position of authority. So whatever comes next, that's what Paul's getting at when he's talking about this in verse 21. So think about the military. Uh, Specifically about the fact that there's an order of rank in the military. The lower ranks are arranged under the higher ranks. They're subordinate to their superior officers. Uh, They submit themselves to the position of authority above them. Now, that does not mean that the lower rank is less significant than the higher rank. It just means that they're in a different position. They've been assigned a different position. To change the illustration, the head coach is not more significant than the quarterback, but the quarterback is positioned under the authority of the head coach. That's what Paul means in verse 21, arranging ourselves under the positions of authority that God has put in our lives. He then goes on to apply that in a number of ways in the following verses. Wives submitting to their husbands. Children obeying their parents. Bond servants obeying their masters. 
Uh, we'll talk about that one more when we get there, but I think a good parallel in our day would be employees serving their employers. But Paul also speaks to these positions of authority as well, how they are to wield that uh, position of authority. Husbands with their wives, fathers with their children, masters with their servants, or again, employers with their employees. Um, We're certainly going to deal with those as well. I just want you to see how this sets up. In verse 21, Paul makes the general point of submission which he wants us in our minds to have this, you know, ordered arrangement, positions of authority. There's a way that we're designed to fit together. And then he goes on to apply that in a number of uh, structured relationships after that. So again, some people want verse 21 to mean that we are all just supposed to submit to everyone all the time. And they want to say that in order to take the perceived sting out of that whole wives submit to your husband's thing. But that's not what Paul is saying. And again, while there is certainly this aspect of all of us submitting to everyone all the time, we seek the good of others above ourselves, what Paul is talking about here is the ordering and arranging of ourselves under the authorities that God has put in our life, particularly in the home and extending out um, from there. So we're going to talk a lot more about this in the coming weeks, uh, next week particularly, the wife's submission to her husband. But let me say a little bit more about it now, just kind of a fly-by view. Um, There are two terms tossed around when we talk about differing views on these things. Complementarian and egalitarian. Uh, Only one of them is consistent with the actual text. And... Uh, that would be the complementarian view. But complementarians hold, they hold the view that I'm putting forth that God has established authority structures that He has put in place and that we are to gladly take our positions that He's assigned us to in those authority structures. God designed it this way so that we would complement one another in the same way that a quarterback complements a head coach. Now, the egalitarian call is a call for equality, but that is really misleading. Because they say that the complementarian view does not promote equality. That's not true. The complementarian view does not say that a husband and wife are not equal. And neither does it say, or neither does it imply that they're not equal. It simply says that they have been assigned to different positions. No one believes in the equal standing of man and woman in Christ like the Apostle Paul. And he would go into great detail about that in other places. Um, you know, in terms of access to God in Christ, there is no distinction, male or female, husband or wife. We're all equal as Christians in that sense. But husband is not wife. These are different positions with different assignments. The egalitarian wants to blur those distinctions, wants to do away with the assigned positions, and to that we have to give an emphatic no. If you remove the assigned positions in the military, what happens? Chaos. Chaos. If you remove the assigned positions on a football team, what happens? You lose. I mean, that's what happens. If you remove the assigned positions in the military, on a football team, or in marriage, you lose. Neither can we remove... um, We just can't remove the, the distinctions in marriage. Again... We may have different ranks, I hate to even say it that way, um, different assignments, 
They're not lesser roles. The order is essential. Each assignment is of equal value. It's just different. God made us and God made marriage and He ordered the marriage relationship in a certain way. If we blur the distinctions, if we lose the assigned positions, what we end up with is utter chaos. By the way, it's no surprise that the people who are calling for the blurring of distinctions between husband and wife, many of them are the same people that are calling for the blurring of distinctions between male and female. And if that's not chaos, I don't know what is. All right, that's submission. Next, uh, fear. Submitting out of reverence for Christ. And uh, the idea is, you know, forceful in that it's really submitting out of the fear of Christ. So the, the context or our submission to earthly authorities is placed squarely in the context of our submission to our ultimate authority, the Lord Jesus Christ. And our willingness to submit to these lesser earthly authorities is directly linked to our willingness to submit to Jesus. You know, the fear of the Lord gets a bad rap. Um, Even among Christians, I think it's often viewed very negatively by many Christians, but the Bible paints a very different, very positive picture of the fear of the Lord. And I want you to see that a little bit. So turn to the middle of your Bible, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, the first half of verse 7. Whoever gets there first, somebody read it for us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, that's not a negative view of the fear of the Lord. Uh, The fear of the Lord is presented here as a great blessing. Without it, there's no such thing as true knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the entry gate into a life of true knowledge. Now turn one book to the right to Ecclesiastes. The end of Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. And whoever gets there first, Bible drill style, read it. <laughs> the, end of the, ma- the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The whole duty of man, fear God and keep His commandments. Now, remember who writes this, King Solomon, and remember some of the context of this book. He was the wisest and wealthiest man in the whole world. But then he set out to try to find his fulfillment in all of that wisdom and in all of that wealth and in all of those women. And what he found is it's all fleeting. That's why he starts the book. Vanity of vanities, hebel of hebel, fleeting, vapor, weightless, cannot satisfy the longings that we have in our soul. Only God can do that. You separate the gift from the giver and seek your satisfaction in the gift, it will fail you every time. So Solomon gets to the end of his life. He's looking looking back on this journey of grace and rebellion and more grace. And this is what he says. Here it is. This is it. All of life is wrapped up in what I'm about to say. Fear God and keep His commandments. Again, not a negative view of the fear of the Lord at all. How about this? Listen to Psalm 36.1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. 
There is no fear of God before His eyes. So, when the, when the Scripture speaks negatively about the fear of the Lord, it's speaking about those who don't have it. The wicked love their sin, they do not fear God. Um, and, and that's when the Bible is going to speak negatively. But maybe, maybe this is just an Old Testament phenomenon. I've heard people argue that before. You know, now that Jesus has come, uh, maybe we shouldn't have the fear of the Lord now. You know, maybe saying that Ephesians 5.21 when it says reverence for Christ, and I'm saying that what that's really saying is fear of Christ, maybe that's too strong. Turn to Acts chapter 9. So, Jesus has already come. He died, rose, and went back to heaven. And then He sent His Holy Spirit to His people. The church is now exploding. Uh, We're in the New Testament time, again, after Jesus has already come and and gone back to heaven. Who wants to read Acts 9.31? Someone new. How about a lady? Like new to the class? Oh, no. Someone other than you is what I meant. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. How about that? Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. One thing we should see there is the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit are not opposed to one another. Uh, But for the purposes of what I'm saying, that's not just Old Testament lingo. The fear of the Lord carries on through into New Testament times, into our time. Uh, Even after Jesus had come, after He had gone back to heaven, the fear of the Lord is still painted in a very positive light in the Scripture. So don't let someone tell you that uh, the fear of the Lord was just for Old Testament times. It ain't so. Take them to Acts 9.31. Now, in our passage today, our submission to earthly authorities is placed in the context of our fear of, reverence for, submission to the Lord Jesus. Our willing submission to lesser authorities flows out of our fear of the Lord. Whether it's a wife to a husband or a child to a parent, an employee to an employer, a church member to an elder, you name it. If we have problems with the authority structures that God has put in place, if we have problems with the positions that He has assigned to us, if we have a problem with the call to submit to an earthly authority, our real problem is with the fear of the Lord. Now look, all of us have some degree of problem with earthly authority. Because we're sinners. And in our flesh, you know, we want to be the only authority in our lives. That is the essence of sin. And it does not help that we've been marinating in a culture that is on a mission to assault any and every authority other than the authority of self. But also, some of our biggest issues with earthly authorities revolve around the fact that all earthly authorities are imperfect authorities. Every wife is called to submit to a vastly imperfect husband. Every child to a vastly imperfect or imperfect uh, parent or parents. Church members to imperfect elders, employees to imperfect employers, citizens to imperfect governments, and it goes on. But that's why it's so vital to get that our passage places this squarely 
in the context of our submission to the only perfect authority, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus alone is perfect. And submission to earthly imperfect authorities is really all about submission to His perfect authority. And this is not just something that He calls us to arbitrarily. This is something that He lived. Uh, There's a similar section about submission to earthly authorities in 1 Peter 2 and 1 Peter 3. You don't have to turn there. You can if you would like. But uh, there, Peter shows us that Jesus is our example in these things, submitting to imperfect earthly authorities. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, submitted Himself to imperfect earthly governing authorities. And we better be glad that He did, because we wouldn't be saved if He hadn't. Think about that. He committed no sin. Text says, neither was deceit found in His mouth. There was not even an inkling of sin in Him. And yet He was arrested and tried and given a sentence of the most heinous murderer. He had every right to berate them. But He didn't. He simply continued entrusting Himself to the Father who judges justly. He knew that His submission to an imperfect governing authority was part of the perfect plan of God to save the world. All to say, when we find ourselves in a position of submitting to an imperfect earthly authority, we're not alone. Jesus is with us in that. He understands that to the nth degree as one who submitted to an imperfect earthly authority, yet He was perfect and we're not. He, he forged that path for us. He doesn't call us to it arbitrarily. He calls us to walk with Him in it and uh, to follow Him according to His way. Alright, let's head to the close. Um, as we move into the most extensive treatment of marriage in the entire Bible, we need to see that the most important ingredient in a God-glorifying marriage is the fear of the Lord. Now, this is foreign to most marriage instruction that we're going to get anywhere else today. And unfortunately, in a lot of places in the church at large. I was thinking about this. If I were to ask ten Christians, I'm not saying I would have been any different before being confronted with this, but uh, what is the most important ingredient for a God-glorifying marriage? Maybe nine out of ten would say communication. You know, it's kind of the go-to answer. And certainly communication is important. It's, it's a uh, downstream effect of what we're talking about. But it is not most important. Most important is the fear of the Lord. And also think about this. What is the field of study that has most influenced marriage counseling in our world today? Psychology. Now I know many of you think I hate psychology, and I don't. Uh, I don't think that all insights from the world of psychology are bad. I think many are very good. But the fear of the Lord is most often absent from the world of psychology. And even in many so-called Christian psychologies. Again, that's not to say that there aren't good insights and good helps there um, from, you know, psychologies, from counselors and, and things. But I think we just need to be aware of this, that if we are going to be counseled in these areas... We need to know that the most important fundamental issues are a spirit-filled life that expresses itself in the fear of the Lord. Uh, you're not going to find instruction on that there. And so we at least need to go with that operating assumption, knowing that that is most important, 
and fill in the helps, you know, as they come. Um, again, I don't hate psychology, but we have to make sure that the foundation is set, and that's not what they're trying to do for us. Uh, we have to go here to do that. So, how do we cultivate the fear of the Lord? Uh, Job twenty-eight twenty-eight says, "The fear of the Lord that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding." So. The fear of the Lord and turning away from evil are very closely intertwined. Our expression of uh, showing that we understand it is repentance, turning away from evil. So one way to cultivate the fear of the Lord is repent. Repent often. Wherever we are in sin, as often as God exposes it, confess your sin to God and to the person that you've sinned against and uh, turn from your sin to God. Now, we need to expect as we examine our lives more closely in light of the coming section in, this, uh, in, in Ephesians, we are all going to be exposed in our sin to one degree or the next. So let us all be eager to repent of our sin and turn back to the Lord over and over again. And not only for those who are married. I know you're going you know, oh, so how many weeks is he going to do this, you know, and here I am and... Uh, I, I think that you know the basic principles that we find here are going to be applicable in all walks of life. Now, another aspect of the fear of the Lord is proximity. We turn from pursuing our sin, we repent, and we turn to the Lord. Uh, so in terms of marriage, one of the most helpful things that I've seen is pretty simple. I think Dave Hogue showed me this. At, I forget who was getting married. But um, you know, if your husband and wife down here on the bottom of the triangle and God here... And uh, the best way to pursue, you know, a good and healthy marriage is each of you individually pursuing the Lord. And the closer you get to God, the closer you get to one another. I mean, that's just, it's true. But a part of the fear of the Lord is turning from your sin, facing the Lord, and uh, pursuing Him. But I would say this, the reality is, drawing near to God is not easy. Um, Even though we know that the thing that we need more than anything is closer proximity to God, more intimacy with the Lord. If we're honest, a lot of the time we like our distance. Because, uh, you know, moving closer to Him, it it unsettles things. And uh, things change. It's a fearful thing just to be close to God. And also to, you know, continue doing this and turning over the reins of our life. Because what's going to happen? And uh, we know things are going to have to change, and, and not just a little bit, most of the time. And, you know, God is not safe, but we trust that He's good. And uh, because He's good, we can trust that He is going to work all of these things, even the trials of our marriage and family for our good. So, uh, one step in the direction of closer proximity to the Lord is uh, just to make sure that we're in the Word and prayer every day. And not necessarily for the sake of your marriage and family. Those things come up because they're on your mind. But just me and the Lord uh, pursuing you know, closer proximity with Him. Even just for a few minutes. Open the Word. Lord, search me. Expose me. Guide me. Lead me into the truth. I know that the truth sets me free. Undo me. Establish me in the faith. I'll close with this thought. Um, 
Another way to cultivate the fear of the Lord, and perhaps the best one, uh, it's one that we don't do a whole lot, is to think about the end of our lives. And the reality is, the most certain thing for all of us is that we are all going to die, most of us a lot sooner than we expect, and we're going to stand before Jesus. And we need to think about judgment in a couple different ways. For the Christian, there is no fear of condemnation. We will not be condemned at the judgment. We will be counted uh, among the sheep, you know, not the goats. We'll be counted faithful because Jesus is faithful and we're His. And yet, there is another kind of judgment for Christians. Jesus talks about this in the parable of the Minas in Luke uh, chapter 19, if you want to look at that this week. Uh, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it's, it's really a judgment of stewardship. Paul knew that the Lord had given to him responsibility for the kingdom of God. And he knew more certainly than he knew anything else that he would stand before Jesus and give an account for how he had stewarded the responsibilities that God had given to him. There's a place where he says, knowing then the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. I mean, the fear of the Lord, knowing that he was going to stand before Christ and have this talk with him about how all of this went, these assignments that I gave to you, it struck fear into him, and that motivated him to do the work he was given to do. So even though we know with great confidence that our soul is safe eternally, we know that God has given us some assignments and some responsibilities to which we will uh, give an account. So it's like I was thinking about it in relation to uh, Dr. Young, naturally. And uh, it's like when Dr. Young gives me something to do, I do it with a certain fear of Dr. Young. And most of the time, it's not because I think he's going to fire me, um, but because I know with what seriousness and sobriety he entrusted the responsibility to me. When he said, hey, I want you to go get this done, he meant it. I want you to go get this done. Well, how much more the king of God's kingdom How much more our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has ordered our relationships in a certain way. He's given us certain assignments and certain responsibilities in marriage and the family and the workplace and beyond. And we're going to talk to Him about it. We're going to meet Him soon and we're going to talk about how all that went. That that is a sobering thought. And as much joy as will be magnified and brought to completion at the day when we meet our Lord, uh, we have to know that uh, sobriety the same. There will be great sobriety in standing before God. I think we need to think about that more often. Um, and, And the fact that the fear of the Lord is a great motivator to get to work. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, I thank You for the timely reminder just in my little world, in my little head, about uh, Hussein and the Islamic Republic of Mauritania. Lord, frankly, it's very timely for me as I consider this passage because, again, I often try to size You up or think I've got You sized up with good theology or whatever it may be, but Lord, You are God and I am not. You are the sovereign of all creation and uh, I am Your creation. 
And Lord, how privileged we are that You have sought us out. Not only that You know our names and the number of hairs on our head, but You have counted us among the elect, that You have counted us as faithful in Christ. You've forgiven us our sins. You've made us children. Lord, we will never exhaust the wonder of Your grace and of Your um, mercy that You've poured out on us. You have prepared uh, an eternal joy, an eternal inheritance for us. And Lord, um, we, we do desire, we ha- pray that You would help us to long for that even more. And yet, Lord, there are many aspects to our relationship with You. You have assigned us responsibilities. Lord, we know that You do that not as a tyrant ruler, but as a loving Father. And yet, um, many of us can attest the fact that when our fathers gave us something to do, they meant it, and uh, they were serious about it. And we, we ought to know that that is just a representation of Your sobriety and uh, Your earnestness in which You assign us responsibility. So, Lord, I pray that You would establish us in the fear of the Lord. Uh, that You would draw us near. Lord, what a wonderful and, uh, frankly, frightening thing it is to be close to God. We don't fear as those who will be condemned, but just that You are awesome and unlike us, unlike any other. Lord, uh, Your Word says that the fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord purifies us. And so... It seems to me that Your Word says to us that the thing we need to get first and foremost as we move into a discussion of marriage is we must be established in the fear of the Lord. Would You do that for us? Would You please pour out Your grace to that end? And uh, out of that, would our willing submission to the authorities You've put in our lives uh, flow? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we have a couple few minutes if anybody has a thought or question, needs clarity. Chris? Yeah. Do you think, um, you know, we're talking about marriage for a while, I think we, can we look at it like very kind of black and white, like, okay, this applies to me, this applies to her. And not, not to like blur genders, but can we also, can I also think about the call of wives speaking to me as a representation of the church, as a bridegroom of Christ? I mean, is there kind of a, so I, I don't have to necessarily be married get anything from the talk of marriage, right? Sure. Being a with Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah, and there, I mean, the, the text is going to do that for us in making these um, connections in terms of Christ and the church. So and I also have to submit to Him. Sure. And I know that He's going to take care of me. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and I mean, other places where it would flesh this out a little differently, that's what it would say. And I mean, honestly... Um, you know, the call to husband is to submit to authority as well, um, though that may flesh out different in the particular relationship. But, you know, the call to die for your wife is not uh, small. And so, for someone that wants to stand at a distance and say, well, he's an authority, and it's like, well, just wait till God calls him to wield that authority in the way that he does. Um, certainly good. Anyone else? So much in your mind that you just can't know where to start.
All right. Well, we are uh, picking up in verse 22 next week. See you then.